Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello Church. So we're talking about being Holy Spirit reliant. Now I've been in many different types of churches. I've been in churches where the Holy Spirit is spoken of, but no evidence of His work is ever really seen. I've been in other churches where the Holy Spirit is glorified to the point where God's Word and other people are minimized. And there was a church in the New Testament, the church of Corinth, that had fallen into that trap. You know, I love the Bible so much because any problem, any situation that we come across, even 2,000 years later, the Bible is completely relevant and it speaks to our situation. So Paul the Apostle had started the church in Corinth and in 1 Corinthians 1, he says that they were given amazing utterance. In other words, the, the gifts of the Spirit, tongues and prophecy especially, were such a big part of their church. But he then says to them throughout the rest of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that they've over-glorified, over-emphasized being led by the Spirit instead of adding the fullness of the Spirit with the fullness of God's Word, the fullness of loving one another and various other things, thinking of other non-believers when they're coming into our meetings and various things. So I want to go through very quickly through 1 Corinthians um, and just show you some of the lessons that Paul gave to churches. Why am I saying this? Not because our church has gone to that extreme, but I want to just make it clear that we can fully enjoy the power, the gifts, the leading, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our meetings, as long as we don't go too far into this other side, which is unloving and not righteous. So at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul says to the church there, he loves this church. It was the second last church that he ever planted. And he really has deep affection for them. And at the start, he says, I thank my God concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you, that you were enriched in everything, in all utterance and all knowledge. They had amazing gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, then he goes on to say that he's not very pleased with them because they are splitting up into factions. So he says, there are divisions among you. Now, each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. He says that they were being led by the Spirit, but actually it wasn't just the Spirit, it was the flesh. They were following humans, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and some were saying, I follow Christ, but what we see from the rest of the book is they actually were saying, I'm following the Holy Spirit's leading, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit because it was their own flesh. In chapter 3, he says, um, I'm speaking to you not as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of a Paul, I'm of Paul, another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? They'd allowed the, the excuse of being, I'm being led by Christ, or I'm being led by the Spirit to follow Paul, 
to cause divisions among them. He then goes on in chapter 4 to say, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, and that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. He was saying, the way you check whether you're still being led by the Spirit is not to just say, I'm getting messages from the Holy Spirit. No, no. Am I going beyond what is written? The Bible is a wonderful... You see, the Bible was written by the Holy Spirit. So whatever the Holy Spirit says to a person's heart or mind will always agree with the Bible because they were written by the same person. And it's just such a helpful thing. The Bible not only builds us in the Spirit, but it helps to show us where we are maybe using the excuse of the Holy Spirit and not really following Him. In chapter 5, he says that they were allowing immorality, especially sexual immorality, but he gives a list of other sins as well, greed and swindling and all sorts of things. And they had allowed, they had under the guise of saying, oh, the Holy Spirit is leading us, they were allowing sin and he says, that's another thing. If we ever step over into sin and allowing immorality, he says, don't be deceived. Unrighteous, immoral people are not saved. And then he gives a list. He's not saying just general sinners. He's saying there's a specific list of sins. And if you are continually living in, in those sins, if anyone is living in those sins, they may say they're being led by the Spirit, but they're not even saved. Right. Then he goes on to give some advice about their communion meals. When they came together, they were, it was just a selfish, disorganized party that did not lead to the glorifying of Christ. And even in their meetings, he says there was disorder. Um, and so he gives them some advice to say, love one another, wait for one another. When you come together, you share the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and you love one another, not just let me eat as much as I can and not care about anyone else. And so he's just giving them guidelines. It's a bit like a beautiful fire in a fireplace. When a fire is in the fireplace, it produces heat, light, warmth energy, joy. It's just a wonderful thing. But when that fire is outside of the fireplace, then it's not a healthy thing. And he says the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Later on, he's going to say, don't forbid people to speak in tongues. Eagerly, earnestly desire these Holy Spirit gifts, but put it in the fireplace because then there is such power and such joy. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, he goes specifically through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So he mentions nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are supernatural things that come to us as believers when we ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us. Then suddenly these gifts are available to us. And there are nine of them. The first one, if we look through the book of Acts, the first gift of the Holy Spirit that almost always is mentioned whenever someone is first filled with the Holy Spirit, it says they spoke in tongues, Second one, second most common is they prophesied. Third most common is they glorified God. Spoken tongues, prophesied, glorified God. So it's a speaking. Jesus said out of the overflow of the heart, as your heart is filled with the Holy Spirit, then you start to speak something. Glorifying God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Prophesying, saying, wow, I'm feeling like God is saying. But the most common was just speaking words, sounds, languages, that were not their native language. Now, I have 
let me just briefly say, I have spoken to so many people who have said, I've asked God to fill me, but I haven't spoken in tongues. Many. I could tell you so many stories of people who've said this. And I've said to them, have you tried? And they look at me a little bit confused and dumbfounded because they thought the Holy Spirit was going to grab their lips and their voice box and their lungs and make air come out and make their mouth talk. He was going to physically control them like a puppet. And that's not the way the Bible describes the Holy Spirit. He works with us. And so I said to them, start, just try, even by yourself. One friend of mine did it. He was brushing his teeth. He thought, let me try this. I said, try just using your own lungs to start air coming out. You make your voice make a sound and make your tongue and lips say something, but not English. And watch what happens. And as they did it, the words came, the Holy Spirit words came. And they realized that gift was there all along. It was just waiting for me, like Peter stepping out of the boat onto the water. I have to use my own muscles and my own deciding ability to say, I'm now going to activate this gift. Amazing, isn't it? Right, so the gifts of the Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians 12, he says the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, the way we see that the Holy Spirit is in a person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Everybody who is filled with the Spirit has these gifts for the profit of all. In other words, the, what he's about to describe is in the context of corporate worship. For the profit of all means... I use these gifts to bless you, not to bless me. It's to bless other people. And he lists them. The word of wisdom. That means God just drops some wisdom, some thoughts into my head that show me how to make a good decision. The word of knowledge. That means God drops some knowledge into my head. Oh, did you have baked beans for breakfast this morning? God is wanting to say something to you. I don't know what it is, but it's a word of knowledge that you wouldn't have known by yourself. To another faith by the same Spirit. That's a supernatural gift of, I know God is going to do this right now. That's a gift of the Spirit. That's the third one. The next one is gifts of healings. This means different praying for people for different types of healings that they might need. Um, that's pretty self-explanatory. To another working of miracles. That means praying for something, supernatural provision for the weather to change, for whatever, various different miracles. To another prophecy, that means speaking words that God is giving you. To another discerning of spirits, that means you can tell what is going on in the spiritual realm when a, an activity is happening. You can say that's the Holy Spirit, that's a human person's spirit doing it on their own, or that's a demonic spirit, discerning of spirits. It's, it's a discernment gift. Uh, to another, different kinds of tongues. That means speaking languages. And to another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And then he goes on to describe the human body. And he says, every part of the body is necessary. Whatever gifts you have, and he's talking specifically here about those gifts, supernatural spirit gifts. He says, use them. Every part is necessary. If one part of your body stops operating, the whole body suffers. He says, if you stop using your spiritual gifts, the whole body suffers. And then at the end, he says, earnestly desire the best gifts. And I'll show you a more excellent way. And then he takes the whole of 1 Corinthians 13 to say, use the gifts, tongues, prophecy, etc., 
but do it in love. What is love? It's being kind to each other. It's favoring the other person, preferring them, wanting their best, being humble, um, not keeping a record of wrongs. He says love has to be the context, the fireplace, as well as God's word. Love has to be the context for the use of these gifts. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I don't, don't have love, I'm a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can understand all mysteries and knowledge and I have all faith so I could remove mountains, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. Isn't that fascinating? He mentions something interesting. He says, um, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Isn't that interesting? He says, don't ever elevate these gifts of the Holy Spirit to be faultless and perfect or above Scripture or above the wisdom that you already know from other Christians and from yourself. They will fail. Prophecies can fail. Why do they fail, Greg? Surely if God's speaking, they fail. They fail because of the human element. The Holy Spirit puts a perfect prophecy inside a person, but I sometimes don't fully interpret it correctly. Or I mix in my own motives, my own emotions, my own thoughts, my own words. And so there is an a, always, 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 he says, there is a chance that prophecies are not quite right. They're not the top they're not the most important thing. They're a helpful thing in a context of many other things. He says, whether there are tongues, they will cease. What's he talking about that? He'll mention it in a moment. He says, where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know just as I also am known. He's saying when we get to heaven, we're going to see everything clearly. There'll be no more uh, confusion or lack of understanding. But for now, we have partial understanding, knowledge, prophecy, tongues, wisdom, all of these things. They must be put in their place. They are useful. He says, faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Love is a context for using these spiritual gifts. Think of other people. And then in chapter 14, he goes into this amazing description where he describes how tongues especially is primarily a personal private gift to be used by me in my own personal prayer closet, praying perfect prayers to God, but when I'm in public, I'm just giving you a foretaste of what he's going to say in chapter 14. He says, when I'm in public, I must be thinking about the other people in the meeting and about non-believers who come in. And if I'm just speaking in tongues constantly when, they're, when I'm in a meeting with other people, they can't understand what I'm saying. Especially non-believers will think I'm crazy. So he says, either interpret when you're in a public meeting, if you speak in tongues, make sure there is an, an interpreter who can interpret it into a known language so that those others who hear can be blessed. Or just simply prophesy, which is the same as tongues plus interpretation. Just say the Lord says. And if there is no interpreter present, he says, then just pray to yourself in tongues quietly or under your breath. Isn't that amazing? So let me go through these verses quickly. 
Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Nobody else understands it. He's later going to say, even you don't understand it. It's a mystery. But he who prophesies, in other words, you stand up in church, you say, I feel like the Lord is saying, whatever, I love you, my children, or there is... This is a, the way that I want you to move forward. Whatever it is. He says, when you prophesy, you speak edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Prophecy is supposed to edify, build people up, exhort, encourage them, and make them encouraged, and bring comfort. So when there's a prophecy that doesn't do those three things, it's probably not right to be spoken, spoken out in public. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And we know in another part of the scripture, Jude chapter 1 verse 20, it says, build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. In other words, when I speak in tongues, I'm doing spiritual bodybuilding. You know, you go to the gym to build up your body. You go to the library to build up your mind. You speak in tongues to build up your spirit, but it's your own spirit. When you speak in tongues, I don't get edified. You do. Because you are speaking to God. Isn't that amazing? He says he edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. I'm just going to read through these scriptures because they really are helpful. He says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? He says, think about the other people. Don't just go to church for yourself and to be blessed. How can I edify other people? Prophecy, knowledge, teaching, all these things. Even things without life, flute or harp, if they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? He says, if you're playing music and it's just a cacophony of sounds, it's not helpful, it's not nice. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? It's so clear what he's saying here. Think about other people and about interested visitors coming in. For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. He says it's a good thing to pray in the spirit, to sing in the spirit, which is singing and praying in tongues. But he says, when you come to church, I'm not thinking just about me. I'm not even just thinking about worshiping God. I'm thinking about how can I bless my brothers and sisters? Otherwise, if you bless the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, Paul says, that I speak with tongues more than you all. 
And the, in the Greek, that means more than all of you combined. They were known for the utterances they gave. He says, all of you speak in tongues so much. I personally speak in tongues more than all of you. Isn't that interesting? But then he says, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Is he against tongues? No, right at the end, he says, don't forbid tongues. Tongues are great, but just understand the, the context of all of this. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. What I believe he means there is that in Bible times, when a person got saved, they believed in Jesus. They were an unbeliever. They said, yes, I want to believe in Jesus. They got put under water and they got prayed for to be filled with the Spirit. And it usually all happened at the same time. So tongues for them were the first thing that happened to them as an unbeliever coming into the church. But he says, now that you are believers, prophecy is a better thing to use in church. Prophecy is a sign for believers. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Now, that is so interesting. Greg, shouldn't we just worship the Lord? We don't care what non-believers think. We don't care if visitors come in and think we're crazy. No, no. He says care. Care about non-believers coming into your meeting and thinking you are mad because you're not going to help them. You're not going to bring them into the body of Christ. Think about the visitors. Not only think about the visitors. We've got to worship God first and, and, and honor him and do what he says. But we think about the two together. He goes on to say, but if all prophecy and prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. The secrets of his heart are revealed. Falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Fascinating. And then he's just going to give some instructions about how we can be orderly in church. And we can go overboard. Churches can be overly orderly where they just structure everything to the nth degree. He's not saying that. He's saying use the gifts, but in the context of all these different things. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren? Or in other words, let's sum this up. When you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. He says when they came together, they, everybody contributed something, some of which were teachings or reading from the Bible. Others were tongues or prophecies, uh, but it was all done for the edification of everyone. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. You say, but I'm just being controlled by the Spirit. No, no, he's going to go on to say later, you control how you use the gifts of the Spirit. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You can say, no, I'm not going to speak now, or yes, I'm going to share this. And you may have something, and he says, if two or three have already done it, hold on to it. But I've got something from the Lord to say. He says, no, no. Let's think about the bigger context. Order, everybody else in church, glorifying God, loving each other, God's word. Come on, grow up, he says. Don't be a childish Christian. If there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. You can control it. And it's not against God's word. It's fine. 
Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Why do we let others judge? Surely if I'm bringing a prophecy from the Lord, it's God's word. No, he says, let the others judge. The church and especially the leaders must weigh it up against scripture, against what God's saying, because where there are prophecies, they may fail. We see through a glass dimly. We prophesy in part. Let others judge whether it is of the Lord. It's not always of the Lord. When someone says to you, I believe God is saying X, Y, Z. When your own heart says, I feel God is leading me this way. Let others judge and let the word of God judge and put it in its right context. He goes on to say, but if anything is revealed to another who sits, let the first keep silent for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And at the end, he says, eagerly desire these spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Don't forbid anyone to speak in tongues. Friends, we want the gifts of the Spirit. We are Holy Spirit reliant. We must have Him. As the pendulum has swung in church, in the Corinthian church, it was too far to the to the gifts and especially tongues, but at other, in other times and places, it's way to the other side where there's just none of the Holy Spirit gifts. We want to be biblically centered. We want to say, God, we must desire and use these gifts, but prefer each other. Think about the non-believers coming in. Love and think about others so that I may edify them and use the scripture as the guidelines to, to guide me in this. And if we do all this, we'll get the same results they had in the New Testament. You know, the New Testament church grew and flourished. In 1906, the gifts of the Spirit were reintroduced to the church worldwide. In Azusa Street in California, there was a Pentecostal revival which lasted for 10 or so years. In other places, South America, Africa, Wales, Scotland, the Far East, Korea, all over the world, around this time, the gifts of the Holy Spirit came back to church and Pentecostalism was born, which basically means churches that believe the gifts, these supernatural gifts of the Spirit are still to be used today. Pentecostal Christianity is growing so fast worldwide, it is extraordinary. If you look at the growth of just this group of Christians, and it's in every denomination, there are people who say, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if you look at the growth of those churches, it is exponential. Since 1906 until today, those churches are growing and doubling and multiplying at such an accelerated rate because God is doing something in these days. He's breathing these gifts of the Spirit back into His church. We don't need to earn them. We don't need to be good and say, I must deserve these gifts. We just need to say, Father, use me. Fill me with your spirit. I'm going to start speaking in tongues in private to build myself up in my most holy faith. I'm going to pray in tongues. When I'm just with other Christians and there's no non-believers or anyone else present, then it's fine to all speak in tongues as much as you want. There's no problem with that. But when I'm in church with others, I can quietly speak in tongues. I can sing in tongues because that's orderly. But I'm not going to stand up and grab the microphone and just speak in tongues for five or ten minutes without any interpretation. Because I've got to think about others and I've got to think about the visitors. Holy Spirit, use us. Use our church. Work in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.
God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.